Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And today we'll be diving deep into the jungle primeval on an adventure through the rivers of the world. That's right, it's time for another Disneyland classic and opening day attraction, the world-famous Jungle Cruise. And Alice, I gotta say, I've been hearing a lot about this ride lately, and mostly the the thing that people bring up when they start talking about it is skip the ride. Um, it's not important, it's not, a, it's not an e-ticket, uh, your time is better spent elsewhere. What would you say to those people? Well, buddy... I would say don't skip it. I would say don't skip it if maybe if it's your first time to a Disney park, uh, if you've got time to stand in the line, if you want to experience a true Disney classic, definitely go for it. If you've been to Disney a whole bunch of times and you've ridden the ride a lot, then yeah, I guess maybe skip it. Sometimes the line may be not worth the experience. But it's definitely one of those classic rides that I think everybody should ride at least once. Yeah, I think I think everybody should at least give it a shot, right? Yeah. Um, and and it is really it really is one of my favorite rides for a couple of reasons. Not the least of which is that it has a a really unique uh, sight, sound, and smell package. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, the the smell of the the water, um, you know, Disney water smell. Um, a lot of people are really into that smell, and it brings me right back to my childhood riding the ride. It's that distinct. Um, and not to mention, it's it's like a completely immersive 3D environment. The plants are so well-grown that it, it covers everything. Um, you don't really get the sense that it's connected to the rest of the park. It really feels like its own world. Um, and that's that's worth something. I mean, it's not a thrill ride, right? Um, but not right. every ride is a thrill ride and it would be silly to make every ride be a thrill ride. Exactly. It's, it's, it's got its place in theme parks. It's got its place in Disney and, uh, and it's, I don't know. It was always one of my favorites as a kid. I think I haven't been on it for a while. Um, but that's mostly a line length issue, not a, um, like, I always want to go on it. Oh, we should ride the Jungle Cruise. Oh, it's a two-hour wait. We should, two hour, we should Two hours is it. too much for the Jungle Cruise. I, I would say my limit on the Jungle Cruise is maybe a half-hour wait. Um, I would say 45 minutes, but yeah. 45 is, 45 is also good. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, it is, it's, it's a good ride. I mean, like, what's, what's so great about it is the immersiveness of the experience. And um, I, I just... I cannot discount the uh, the specialness of this opening day attraction that is also a uh, it's got that human element. Right. Right. Um, with we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but the, the presence of the skippers and what they bring to the table, uh, I think, elevate this ride beyond even its original intention. Um and and that's so so cool, and the the unique culture surrounding the ride. Uh, it's no wonder it has its own fandom. Um, so we should probably jump right in, right? So uh, Alice, let's talk a little bit about what makes the Jungle Cruise uh, special. Uh, and I think you've got a little bit of history for us. So the Jungle Cruise was a opening day attraction. It opened with the Disneyland Park on July 17th, 1955. The inspirations for building this attraction 
uh, where uh, films such as uh, The African Queen or uh, novels such as The Jungle Book by Richard Kipling or uh, other authors like Joseph Conrad or Daniel Defoe um, inspired this uh, British explorer-themed adventure. Uh, the original plan was to use real animals, but once Walt Disney realized animals would most likely be asleep during the day, he scrapped that plan in favor of these animalatronics. And I, I do <laughs> animalatronics. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that is a that is a little bit of an inside joke that will come back up later. Um, but I got to say, Alice, it, it's funny to me that this would be the intent ever. Like, I need something that will work all the time for a lot of people to come through what about actual real life animals it sounds it sounds like a like a jurassic park setup basically right uh uh, you will have animals on your jungle cruise uh won't you um (laughs) and and, you know that that part in in jurassic park where they're trying to get the t-rex to come out like imagine they're trying to get the hippos to come out so they like bathe the water with like an antelope That would that would be very funny, and it's a, a classic example of Walt Disney's extremely huge vision for something like Disneyland being pared down a little to match his vision, but to um, to make it a little more reasonable for audience. Yeah, slightly and it's more that, realistic. It's that huge vision that made him such a such a uh, such a visionary to <laughs> to begin with. Um, so aside from like alterations and, and maintenance. Um, Really only from the only difference from opening day Jungle Cruise to today's Jungle Cruise, they added about four new show scenes with the last big additions being made in 1962 and 1976. Uh, in 1994, the river was rerouted a bit to make way for the Indiana Jones Adventure Ride right next door. But other than just slightly shortening the river, it is mostly unchanged since 1976. Um hmm. They imported actual tropical plants and also um, made use of like what they call character plants, which are not necessarily exotic, but look exotic. Uh, in uh, one, one particular trick they would use is uh, he uprooted uh, orange trees that were native to the area and replanted them upside down and growing vines on the exposed roots. So the so a lot of these tropical looking plants are just upside down trees with their roots in the air with vines strung over them to make them that's, look kind of That's spooky. ridiculous. And and a lot of people don't know this uh, if they aren't familiar with the history of the area and I think we've talked about this a little bit but the the importance of Anaheim as a farming area, right? Anaheim was all farms back when uh, Disneyland opened. So um, many orange it, groves. It was literally, it was an orange grove and also a, a Anaheim uh, chili grove. Um, yeah, and- I think we mentioned this a little bit in our episode on on California Adventure and the like homage to... Um, to the to the oranges as, as being important to the area um, and a little bit to in our Knott's Berry Farm episodes but yeah this whole area of Southern California was all was was almost nothing it was just trees and orchards as far as you could see um, so Disney taking over this area this this farming community and turning it into a destination adventure where you can hop on a boat and pretend like you are on a, a series of, of rivers in Ash- in Asia, Africa, and South America um, is pretty cool. 
Yeah, that is it's it's incredible to see what it has become. Uh, and the other day, I was I was looking at a, a photo of uh, Adventureland in the fifties, and the foliage hadn't really grown in yet. Uh, so it was substantially less impressive. Um, like you could you could easily see uh, right through to like a fence uh, or the berm, um, and it was it was like wow that's. It's kind of sad that it was like that. But then again, when you go to Adventureland now, it shows the the planning of the whole thing and how intentional they were. Right. You can't see the sky. Uh, <laughs> the foliage has completely enveloped the whole thing. It's it's, it's truly isolating. Right. Um, uh, the 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 care and 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 growth that goes into the uh, the jungle as part of the Jungle Cruise and, and Adventureland as a greater whole. This is a, a fun fact. In 2010, uh, it was the the man-made jungle as part of the Jungle Cruise was declared a real jungle. It's complete with its own ecosystem. That is because it's it's all of these plants that don't grow anywhere else in the area. Um, it fosters its own ecosystem of of bugs and birds and and plants that. Uh, that that rely on on each other for for further growth, and they do a really good job of taking care of uh, of those plants and helping them thrive in their not native um, uh, temperate climate. That's what I to say. <laughs> they're are non native uh, climate. conditions, climes, climes. Sure. Um, and and Alice, it's it's funny that you know originally it was going to be kind of a wildlife uh, showcase, and then it became it's kind of a wildlife preserve in its own way. Um, yeah. But and and something you mentioned earlier is that you travel through all these different rivers, right? Um, right. From from South America and Asia and Africa, um, all within this eight-ish minute tour. Um, <laughs> And and that is something that's a little uh, strange. It's something that that to me has always felt like uh, not a particularly well uh, separated kind of theming. Uh, something that's not particularly effective. It it find it kind of feels like when you're on it that they're all the same river. Right. You stay on the same boat. And just kind of go around a turn, and then the skipper says, "Now we're in Africa," <laughs> and and it doesn't feel, it doesn't necessarily feel like you've gone anywhere because so much of this of of the trees and 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 stuff all remain the same. You have to rely on your skipper and on the animatronic animals to kind of give you a better idea of, of where you are because you do cover, uh, several rivers over the course of the ride. You go, um, on the Irrawaddy and Mekong river. That's uh, supposed to be Southeast Asia, specifically Cambodia. And then they bring you to the rivers of Africa where you cover the Nile and Congo rivers. And then you end up in the Amazon river in South America. And Those if you are- don't believe us, then you're just in denial. Oh, good, good, good <laughs> one, buddy. Yeah, you know what? Totally original. Never heard it before, especially on the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the covering of, of all of these different, um, all of these different uh, areas, um, I think maybe uh, combining them all into one attraction and treating them all as one idea 
maybe brings us to kind of something that we should something we should talk about always when we're talking about maybe Adventureland um, and the uh, theming of Adventureland and of this ride specifically. Maybe one of the biggest things I think we've covered on the show, um, and we want to make sure that we're covering it with the gravity that it deserves. Right. This is a um, this is a very serious topic. And and typically our show is uh, we will laugh and joke and have a good time. But um, when we when we decided to pick this uh, ride and this literary term to go with it, um, we said to ourselves, uh, we need to be careful that we that we speak with the, the respect that we that we generally might not. Um, because, because this is something that, uh, is still very alive in history and something that we're kind of struggling with, um, maybe just on a a general cultural sense. Um, our, our word of the day today is colonialism. (laughs) We're going to talk about colonialism, colonialist ideology, and, um, and a little bit of colonialist rhetoric when it comes to not just the Jungle Cruise, but it's inspiration pieces. And, um, while we could speak for hours on the subject and people have ha- have written amazing books and and theses and dissertations on this topic, we're just going to do as quick and respectful of an overview as we can. Because, buddy, this is a difficult conversation to have. And this is a important subject that needs to be treated respectfully. We want to talk about Adventureland and how it's rife with examples of colonialist ideology and imagery references colonialist literature literature in a way that's not altogether too critical. But we want to discuss it without saying just tear down the Jungle Cruise, it's colonialist, get rid of it. We want to talk about history, It's important to be aware of history and then also how Disney and Adventureland and the Skippers have evolved this colonialist history to uh, while while treating it with humor have been able to um, be a little a little more educational and uh, and a little less a little a little less icky. It's not it's not an easy conversation to have. And, no, and, and we, we we have done what we can to to get some research in here and to talk about the subject um, as best we can coming from a position of uh, two pretty privileged people who benefit from a colonialist systems uh, rewards, I guess, um, which is a weird way to say it. But uh, who who sit inside of what were colonies um that became nations uh and um that that place to be is complicated um and as is the jungle cruise and adventureland writ large it's a it's a complicated space because these are uh cherished stories these are stories that that people really do love um and Stories that have imagery that uh, are appealing and exciting. And um, inspiring to so many people. This idea of, of an adventure, of exploration, of, of seeing new things and, and experiencing new cultures. have the, That kind of imagery inspired so many people to do a 
really great things. Great, uh, but at, so, at the sometimes same time, terrible, sometimes great. At the same time, it it has been the uh, the root ideology of uh, incredibly heinous acts of violence and oppression and exploitation uh, that benefit the colonizing nations and destroy the peoples that were colonized. Um, so to, to give you the, the basic definition, colonialism is the practice of acquiring control over a country and its peoples. Uh, that is the most simple, concise way that we can talk about colonialism. Um, and typically when we talk about the colonialist period, we're talking about, um, about 500 years of European dominance over much of the rest of the world. Uh... Europeans with their guns and various diseases and methods of control um, going to other places and saying, uh, this is Europe now. Um, give us your wealth and uh, make your culture go away, please. Um, except probably not with a please, usually. No, no, more like with a, uh, a, a gun in your face. Right, mostly of. with a gun. Um, so it's, it's uh, important to note that this is perhaps the most notorious and impactful form um, of colonialism that has ever existed, um, especially on today. Uh, our current geopolitics and media landscape is rooted in this European colonialist ideology, uh, this kind of European exceptionalism. Uh, Europe being the best at things and bringing that bestness other places uh, being right and good regardless of the violence and oppression that comes with that. Um, and we here at Those Happy Places do not believe that European exceptionalism and colonialism is right and good. Um, but that was <laughs> no, the but attitude. It, but it is uh, part of the history and it, it was dire directly inspired pieces of literature that inspired the jungle cruise and so that's why that's why we got to talk about it right uh and uh it, it also bears repeating that uh european colonialism also became american manifest destiny um mm -hmm. and that is why the united states is what it is um and that's a frontier that, land conversation that, that is a frontier land conversation and we will have it when we get to frontier land um so let's talk a little bit about some prominent examples of colonialist literature because uh as we were saying the jungle cruise while taking imagery from popular adventure films of the time such as the african queen um and those steamer boats uh and their iconic design being almost exactly the african queen's uh design um it, it also takes like the idea of a river adventure uh i feel comes almost directly from heart of darkness and joseph conrad's novel about that um mm -hmm. and, and heart of darkness is an incredibly difficult book um with so many scenes of of violence and just it's really really gross and difficult to get through um but this idea that you know the the jungle is deep and dark and mysterious and you can travel down the river and uh see all of this adventure and adventure being um sure wild animals sometimes but also dangerous tribes and uh war-torn uh areas and things like that um and that that can be like an appealing thing <laughs> um <laughs> that that can be like uh an adventure that bears repeating that uh Though, though Conrad does kind of come down on the side of 
um, this being gross and wrong and uh, bad damaging and corrupting. Um, And so it's so funny that we have this kind of innocent retake of it uh, in the form of the Jungle Cruise, right? This uh, this completely not damaging river cruise through most of the world, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) which which is another thing, right, to say uh, blanket term. Jungle rivers are what this is. All jungle rivers. Um, Every jungle river. It's all jungle all rivers. At once. All at once. Because all of these places are foreign. And that means that they're all the same amount of adventurous to go to. Um, and yes. that's that's really gross, mm. right? To think about. Um, and this this idea that like, well, if there's a lion and if there's a rhino and if there's an elephant, then it's an adventure. Um <laughs> And that's, 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 I know I'm, I'm being reductive, but so is the Jungle Cruise. Um, I would call it a really reductive piece of, of literature. Um, as much as I love it, as much as it's entertaining, it reduces the complexity of, uh, this system, this, uh, adventuring system circa 1938, uh, to, to this very simple eight minute trip through, uh, every river at once um and that's uh, that's a lot um and you know the the most that we see of the human influence and the human effect on these rivers are um uh that one uh expedition that is being chased up a pole by a rhino and that other expedition that has been uh completely upended by gorillas um and that's it it's no there are no camps or um or trading stations or mining areas. I mean, the effects of colonialism were about economic extraction of wealth. Um, and that is not on the jungle cruise that is erased. Um, instead, what we see are research expeditions that have funny foibles that have, uh, been in some ways, uh, overturned and like, Oh, ha ha nature's funny that way um well it's also a little bit of a nature got the better of humans like you think that you can come in here and and explore and research but gorillas gotcha instead (laughs) (laughs) it's um i never really considered that angle but the jungle cruise doesn't have yeah like canonically like successful explorers they're all being chased away by nature or by like a tribe that's screaming at you from the that's so it's so problematic that Um, that whole part with with the spears uh is actually right there in heart of darkness actually um so there's there's a part in heart of darkness where they believe that they are surrounded by um by a tribe that is attacking them but and they start firing wildly into the forest um and they never get hit by anything and never confirm that they hit anything. It's part of the the slow madness that uh, kind of captures all of our characters on the boat. Um, right. And that's and then and then, you know, we take that scene and we put it in um, in the Jungle Cruise and nothing is ever thrown um and we we the audience don't respond in any way um I, I don't believe sail the skippers, on down the river right i don't believe the skippers have ever fired their fake cap guns at the tribe oh, um God. 
but if they if they ever did historically that would be really horrible um and there's so there's that scene and it's the what is removed is the detrimental uh kind of psychological effects that everybody would have had not to mention all violence right obviously we do not want a ride where anybody exchanges spears and gunfire (laughs) um (laughs) that that doesn't make any sense um but for example on the indiana jones adventure uh we get puffs of air uh and in the current iteration of the ride um uh, the skippers do that same sound effect the yeah. get down everybody um but it's a joke it's treated as as a as a joke like he's you see him making the sound effects like he's like right. your skipper is in charge of that version of the narrative sometimes they make the 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 spear sounds sometimes they make a joke about how oh they're not attacking they're just waving at us saying hello and that with their spears <laughs> with their spears in their hand that's a that's a skipper choice yeah uh and we'll we'll get a little bit more into the effect of the skipper later but the the effect of the scene is diminished uh and it's sanitized uh much like the rest of the river adventure where these explorers are chased away by nature um which is not what happened uh what what really happened was nature was maybe dangerous for a second and then um more soldiers with guns showed up until nature was not dangerous um and then economic extraction of wealth and destruction of culture could begin um so that was strange to me to make that comparison the comparison between conrad's very dark novel and this bright cheery adventure uh the other one that i I really wanted to bring up was robinson crusoe uh which is the story of an englishman who is washed up on a deserted or he believes it to be a deserted island uh and the claiming that happens uh he he claims this island as his own he uh uh, plants some crops and builds a little hut and he he lives on this island for uh, I forget how long but it's it's a long time it's like 10 years um, not to mention finding out that the island is not deserted and that there is a tribe uh, of cannibalistic people uh, which is very uh, I, I would say kind of standard adventure fare like oh no there's a, a tribe of cannibals um, which is incredibly disrespectful but that is a stereotype that uh, authors were exploiting for the excitement of it, I guess. I just wanted to pop in really quick because uh, mm. I just looked it up. Real-time research. He spends 28 years on this desert island. 28 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and over that time, uh, tries to make it as close to England as possible. Um, he and- is, by the way, in Trinidad. <laughs> oh, that's where he is. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he... He, the thing about Robinson Crusoe that uh, that stuck with me after reading it, um, because it is not a very easy or fun to read novel, because I just cannot get past the writing style and the narrative. Um, but after reading it, the thing that stuck with me the most was that Robinson Crusoe believes that he is right, uh, and that this is his destiny, and claiming this piece of land as. England and measuring it and cataloging it are all 
good and righteous, and literally he believes that God sent him a message to do this. Um, in in a couple of parts, he's like, and I knew that this was divine intervention that meant for me to succeed at this task. Um, <laughs> and I I just does the Jungle Cruise espouse this ideology? Maybe not. Um, I don't think it quite goes that far. I, I don't know if it goes that far, but there is this feeling of we can be welcome here, uh, so we are welcome here. Uh, <laughs> like we are allowed to view this. Um, this is a space that we can just tour casually. Um, Wait, and we for are the allowed. show building, the show building, like the the line building, establishes you are uh, within. Here, let me let me pull it actually up. Um, it's. The QN station are themed as the headquarters and boathouse of the Jungle Navigation Company, which is a river trading company located in a British colony circa 1938. So you've got, like, they fly the Union Jack above the, you know, above above where you board the boats and they establish what year it is. It's 1938 and you are British and you are in a British colony and we're trading down this river and, and... the, the British were notorious for that kind of colonialism. The, right, the, the sun we never live sets here on now. the British Empire. Exactly. It's always the kind England of, somewhere. <laughs> the, 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 we, li- we live here now, and this is our colony, and we're going to trade our way. Um, hop on this boat uh, <laughs> and go see a new place that you haven't seen before. And, and we, are, we are meant to identify ourselves then as British citizens, uh, circa yes. 1938, who have the wealth and privilege of casually taking a tour around the world's rivers um, and on a, a very comfortable steamboat. Uh, and that's that's an interesting position for to put your audience. It's an assumption. Uh, it's assuming that your target audience can identify that way. Or uh, wants to identify that way. Or wants to. And that's very 1955 of this ride. Very, um, very 1955. Yes, <laughs> that's a, a good way to put it. This, the story of this ride, the plot that it puts you in, is a product of 1955. And the, the show the set pieces, the animatronics, nothing about it really, like I said, has changed since 1976 um, where we were still in that position culturally, but we're not really there anymore. And and there has been a lot of work done to kind of not be there anymore. Uh, we, we are, I think, as a culture, trying to open up to realizing the negative effects of colonialism um, and maybe to uh, fixing them in whatever small ways we can. Obviously, it can't go back. Um, And obviously, the hurt that was done cannot be undone. Uh, But there's there's a a rising awareness, I think, in our media culture um, and in our academic culture of how just how bad colonialism was and just how casually we think of it as a good thing um without even realizing what actually happened like how the west was won right the this idea that it was it was won and then civilized i say with the biggest air quotes that i can (laughs) um 
and made part of America and that's what freedom is. Uh, or, you know, that story repeated for any European nation that was doing the colonizing thing. Um, and it's, it's not over. Colonialism is not over. No, um, we are not post-colonial, but there has, there has been a rising post-colonial attitude at least. Um, it's, it's a, it's this idea that we should be critical of these things, at least at the very least question the jungle cruise, <laughs> ask the question, <laughs> um, why would we reduce a, uh, tribal dance and chant to the hokey pokey? Oh. Um, <laughs> I know. Right. Or, you know, like, why do we even feel that it's OK to reduce a tribal dance and chant to animatronics that dance in a circle? Like, there's no way that's how it actually looked. Right. Um, it's just how we kind of imagine it looked collectively through the colonialist lens. Um, and the colonialist lens sometimes is invisible to people. So they just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's about right. Uh, <laughs> and they never ask the question. And I think uh, a big thing about uh, Adventureland is that it doesn't it doesn't try to make the leap. It uh, it has chosen another path. It doesn't have the educational components um, at Knott's Berry Farm, for example, uh there is a very cool attraction called the mystery lodge um and the mystery lodge uh was built in conjunction and uh in partnership with local native american tribal leaders who consulted on the way that the native american storyteller in the ride would tell the story um and the mystery lodge is cool for the way that it tries to say, hey, we are Native Americans. Hey, we are still here. This is a part of our culture that we are cool with sharing. This is uh, not a stand-in for our actual culture, but kind of just a small representative snippet of it. Uh, and I feel like that's a much better way of navigating the badness of colonialism <laughs> than... Uh, what we do end up with with Adventureland, which is kind of this is a silly, almost imaginary time, right? Um, and Adventureland to, really does focus on the the imagination of it, right? To give Disney just a little bit of credit back, I want to um to jump on over to Orlando to the Animal Kingdom. Um, Disney's Animal Kingdom, as, as part of Walt Disney World, um, has a huge focus on present conservationist efforts. They are currently working on preserving animal life and native lands. Um, yeah, specifically for animals, which doesn't solve colonialism. But Disney, uh, I think, in recent years has realized... Um, that this is a maybe, maybe it's PR, but it's an appropriate uh, stance to take on. We maybe they don't acknowledge that we have caused we humans have caused damage to these lands, but at, at least they're acknowledging that it's we're that it's time to start fixing these things. So because humans and, and culture aren't the only things that are harmed by colonialism. This so Disney has gone for let's help 
nature. Let's let's try and 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 conserve animals and their habitats and these parts of the world that we haven't <laughs> trampled all over. <laughs> and so so I wonder if there was a a place if there's a place or a future in Adventureland, both in in Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom, um, if there's a place to add a an educate like an educational component, the Animal Kingdom has done it. You can go through your safari and you can do the walkthrough um, where you meet people who are there, like actively trying to conserve. Uh, conserve lands and educating people on on conservationist efforts. Is there a place in Adventureland for doing that, but for cultures? Uh, I think I think that's a thing. I think that's possible, and I think that might be the solution to Adventureland's awkward position within Disneyland. Um, and I I think because the the current solution is not to educate. As I said, the, it's it's a kind of a helpful abstraction to say help nature uh, now, right? <laughs> like uh, it it helps us because we don't want to go to our family friendly theme park and be like violence, death, and slavery, guys. Um, <laughs> so recover nature and uh, rediscover the natural beauty and majesty of these lands kind of abstracts it to also maybe the cultures that were here before colonialism should be preserved and helped as well but it's too abstract it's not direct enough and i don't think it does the job the way that it could if adventureland went post-colonialist which would be (laughs) really exciting but extremely expensive and uh kind of in reverse of what adventureland is currently which is this celebration of, yes, a almost imaginary adventurer archetype. Um, and I say almost imaginary because there's this very real thing where people like went to not the jungle, but to these other places and uh, quote unquote discovered them and then claimed them and <laughs> exploited them. But we're kind of imagining we're imagining them the way that we would imagine cowboys cowboys, the way that we imagine them never really existed. The, uh, the quick shooter, uh, duels in the streets, you know, like lone wandering gunfighter warrior guy, like those guys didn't exist. What really existed were people moving herds of cattle. Um, and, and, and outlaws who were, criminals who committed crimes they were robbers and and thieves right but that's where you get that shootout but that's where you get that shootout imagery like those things actually like we have record of of like shootouts happening but not not nearly in the in the uh in the numbers that your western film would have you believe no but you're completing they what they do is combine the two at uh the two identities of the um like the cattle herder with the outlaw and that that's where we get our movie imagery of a cowboy. Right. And so the Adventureland idea of the explorer combines a, you know, the, this is somebody who's going to go conquer the land to exploit it. And then also 
like they are also doing research and just yeah, learning also, and mapping and Indiana Jones. They're cataloging and, and uh, saving things and putting, putting idols back where they belong. And it belongs well, in a museum, or taking them to museums, or and... taking them to museums forever. Uh, and, and that's, that's the thing is that there's no, it's no matter how you slice it, these made up uh, good quote unquote uh, adventurer colonialists, um, they're always going to be a little icky. Even Indiana Jones, Nazi puncher, is a little <laughs> gross when you think about it. Because who who are you to say it belongs in a museum? Whose it museum? Probably belongs Yours? back where it be- where you found it. Right. At least in Temple of Doom, he actually does put it back. Um, yes. And and that does solve the problem, but. In most of it, it's I'm going to go to this place and claim this thing and it belongs in a museum. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant, one of the holiest relics of an entire people, gets put in a box in a warehouse because America knows what's best for it. I mean, (laughs) that that moment is framed as wrong, but it's framed as wrong because Indiana Jones wants to put it in a museum in Chicago, not in a box in a warehouse. So who's, who's really more wrong? I don't know. They're both equally wrong. You're losing either way. Right. So that's, that's the thing about colonialism. How do you rewrite it in a way that, that heals instead of hurts? Um, How do you rewrite it in a way that's positive without being icky? I don't think anybody has um, at least not in a, mainstream big way at a theme park i hope there's an author out there who is doing that work um and i would be very happy to hear about them uh well not and and i think um, i just want to say not rewriting it like rewriting history oh they were actually doing good things no no not a not a revisionist recontextualizing it in a way that uh maybe maybe even imagines the power back in the hands of the people who who didn't have power um but there's, it's just such a massive topic that we cannot cover in a one-hour podcast. Not only are we not the best people to talk about it, we are uh, highly limited in our format. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, we've, we've hinted at it, and we've hinted at it, and we've hinted at it. And I think it's time to move on to the topic of the skippers. Yes. Because in the face of this kind of mass waking up to colonialism and its grossness and in the face of the uh, kind of aging ideas of this 1955 attraction, uh, the skippers, I think, have been the solution. So do you want to take a moment here to listen to some voicemail? Why, yes. Uh, Let's take a moment here. We got an awesome voicemail left by one of our very favorite listeners, Charles Gustine of the Iconography Podcast, and he has some thoughts about the Jungle Cruise. All right, let's roll that clip. Hey there, Allison, buddy. It's Charles Gustine from Iconography Podcast. I am super stoked that you guys are covering Jungle Cruise and its skippers, and I hope this voice message gets across to you in time to mull it over before you record. So from where I'm sitting, Jungle Cruise is... One of the most fascinating set pieces, not just in Disney, but all of theme parks. Because Rare is the ride where you have a human guide along with you for the whole thing. Uh, The defunct backstage tour at MGM, Kilimanjaro Safaris at Animal Kingdom come to mind. But in both those instances, the guide is providing context. They're 
an active participant in telling the story in conjunction with the ride elements. It's like they're another ride element. But a Jungle Cruise skipper is doing something really different. If you could mute the skipper, you know, you'd have an entirely different experience on Jungle Cruise. You'd be looking at the flora and fauna of the world, travel the most famous rivers. And thanks to the dated animatronics, animaltronics, uh, and the dicey racial politics, it'd be hokey and cheesy, but it wouldn't be funny. It would just be. Unless someone in your group was whispering sly asides that made you giggle about how lame it all is, and then it would be funny. And that's the remarkable thing about Jungle Cruise is Disney puts that person on the boat for you and gives them a microphone. There's an easy-to-imagine alternate world in which Disney iteratively improved the Jungle Cruise animatronics to keep them appropriately majestic, up to the wow factor, you know, kept them really terrifying like the T-Rex on Jurassic Park River Adventure. But instead, fairly early on, it seemed like Disney did something I don't think they've done anywhere else. They they intentionally take you out of the experience. Rather than trying to immerse you and convince you you've been transported to the Nile, they make it clear you're on an artificial ride with robot lions and a comedian making puns at you. If you had to classify Jungle Cruise in a literary genre, you couldn't just say it's a parody. It's more like a redub, like the funny lip-dub videos of presidential debates on YouTube or Mystery Science Theater 3000. These experiences all share one thing. You're seeing something that had pretensions of being something else, but what you're hearing works against those pretensions. It doesn't just deflate them, it pops them. What's extra remarkable about Jungle Cruise, what makes it, I think, completely unique in all the world, is that you're immersed in that experience. Not the wildlife documentary experience that Disney designed, but like an MST3K episode made 3D. The skippers are breaking the fourth wall when there are no walls. Except at Disney... There usually are walls, and you can't see them. There are these imagined walls of sort of the Disney dignity. This ride is famous among otherwise buttoned-down Disney employees, (laughs) cast members, who can only point in one specific way, because this is the one place where Disney licenses them to let their hair down. And you can tell they love it. It's like the killer is calling you from inside the house. And I don't think the same thing would really work at any other park, because you would expect it. Anyway, I'm excited to hear you two talk about it. And by the way, I really love the new mic setup. Thank you, Charles, for your thoughts and for your participation in this episode. Uh, Let's talk about the skippers, which, as you uh, correctly point out, get to be more loose than pretty much any cast member in the park. I mean, yeah, skippers, skippers get to they, they get to add the humor to the ride and the the rides point now, I think, beyond beyond adventuring is is to be funny. I, I feel like that's the thing it's offering. Um, it's not to be like amazing or majestic. It's supposed to be funny. Like that's the thing, right? Uh, that's the main appeal of the ride. So the skippers are integral to that. They they are the way that the ride has been retrofitted. Um, they they get to they get to add levity to what this ride which has overall only become more problematic over time um and it this is what the ride needs it needs this um otherwise it would be pretty boring or just problematic or just plain old problematic so like you could i suppose try to make it a very intense 
quote-unquote adventure with lots of yelling and screaming and being scared, um, but that would make it worse. Um, that would highlight the problematic parts. Right. So instead we lowlight them <laughs> with with funny jokes and puns. Right. Uh, and The skipper gets to be the interpreter of the ride. Like, it, like, yeah, we make, they get to make it funny. They get to pull in the puns. They're not just commentating or making jokes, but they're contextualizing this thing, which has become increasingly alien since its opening. They, it's not just commentary. It's not just jokes. It's both. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a way to say, yes, we realize how silly and bad some of this is. And Charles, you pointed out in your your voicemail to us that like the animals don't look that majestic. They're not very impressive. I would say that they are kind of still impressive though. I do I do really love. They're they're incredibly charming. Um, the elephants I think are still very impressive. They're still very and cool. And I'm not just saying that cuz elephants are my very very favorite animal. No, but the the elephant taking a bath in the waterfall is like it's so cute. It's iconic. <laughs> it looks great. I I think the hippos still look great. Um and some of the newer animatronics like the the snake it is pretty great and and the gorilla. Uh they're they're not amazing. But they are quite good. Uh, they're they're not convincing, but they're very charming. Um, but the skipper gets to say, "I know how fake this is," and you're right, Charles. Nowhere else do we say, at Disneyland especially, nowhere else do we say this is fake <laughs> and bad. <laughs> um, nowhere else does anybody get to say that. But the skippers can make a joke about somebody on the boat. Um, and be like, haha, sir, your hat is bad, and so is this ride. Um, <laughs> uh, my favorite skipper line ever is, um, there's something you don't see every day, but I do. Every, every eight, eight minutes. minutes. <laughs> um, and that's it's, amazing. It's a, it's a big joke, and it's, yeah, it's giving you this context of, like, yes, we're on a ride. Clearly, this is a ride these animatronics are fake and old um, and this world, this explorer's world that we are in does not exist anymore. This is in a totally foreign concept that hasn't existed since the 30s um, and we're not in the 30s and you know that. That's what the skipper's saying. You know this. I know this. Let's have fun. Yeah, uh, and and what's what's great about it is that maybe the, the majesty and the, the righteous explorer attitude um wore off really fast uh yeah probably pretty probably pretty quickly people were like whoa wait a second um (laughs) i realized that this is not great um but (laughs) the thing that uh didn't go away was this seed of discomfort that kept growing and growing as we got more and more aware of how the ride's a little gross uh and the skippers provide that necessary context of saying yeah we get it too and we get it and we're the approved interpreters of this ride and we get it um and that's i think a a really clever way of dodging the the uncomfortable colonialism it's a way to kind of get out in front of it almost and be like, yes, yes, joke. This is a joke. This is imaginary. It's it's not a real thing. We're not uh, 
this we're is not, not in a real favor thing. of it. It's, this is not the world we live in now. We are better than this now. Yeah, it's it's silly now. It's silly. It's just fun, guys. Ha ha. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> but is that right to do <laughs> is by 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 making fun of, say, the, the tribal dance and making fun of it and calling it the hokey pokey, for example. Um, are we taking away the power of that kind of racism or are we making light of it and like like it does it become oh isn't it like isn't it funny how racist we used to be or is it saying we're not racist like both of those options alice are are so i know i think i think that is the thing is that uh it it might not be right um it is it is what we have uh, it is what that, we have. that doesn't make it right. For example, uh, Trader Sam, uh, last animatronic of the ride, uh, offers the boat shrunken heads. Uh, well, th- the thing is, I think originally Trader Sam was just t- an oddity, right? Like, oh, here's here's a guy with shrunken heads. Look out, he shrinks heads. Uh, <laughs> the skipper contextualizes that moment. Oh, here's Trader Sam, one of the most successful. Uh, uh traders in the jungle he's got a two for one special two of his two of his heads for one of yours uh ha, 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 we all joke ha, about ha, beheadings um it, so we have this like character that has been made kind of a, a piece of the context that skippers are expected to give us um but it doesn't make that moment like not a pile of skulls <laughs> you know yeah, it's pretty dark uh it doesn't make that moment not look at how strange and odd the shrunken head salesman is like this is some kind of exhibit uh it doesn't say anything about why shrunken heads were ever a thing it doesn't say anything about you know were they common at all it doesn't uh educate us in the slightest it just right. kind of makes a uncomfortable moment a funny moment because humor in response to discomfort is a very human reaction. Um, in fact, I would say that humor in response to discomfort might be the highest form of humor. I mean, the office, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Right? You cringe and that's why you laugh. Um, <laughs> but is is this the space for that? Um, probably not. But also, if this isn't the space for it, if Disneyland, where you're going to have fun with your family and enjoy yourself, isn't the space for making jokes, where where would you make a joke? Interesting. If you're going to make a joke about it, if you're going to say, let's laugh and be un- let's laugh and be uncomfortable at the same time and maybe provoke a conversation if you're the sort of family that that after an experience like that gets together and has a conversation about that kind of thing where else to do it but disneyland hmm and i I think it does speak to the power of theme parks i mean i know that that's kind of the point of the show but this is a thing that uh, millions of people will go on and millions of people have gone on and to see to say that it's relatively unchanged aside from some new scenes um, for over, you know, now 60 years um, and that it can provoke those conversations, but also maybe it isn't. Um, 
is is part of the point of those happy places, which is to say this is mass media. It reflects on our culture that it exists and is popular. What is the point? You know, how are, are we responsible with it? Um, are we irresponsible? How is it evolving and changing? Um, and here we are stuck only with questions about the Jungle Cruise. Uh, and Alice, as you said, we're not the people to offer solutions. Um, but we can at least talk about the problem. Uh, and I think that does make the Jungle Cruise valuable, at least to us here now. Yes. Yes. Not to mention that movie's <laughs> coming up with uh, Dwayne uh, The Rock Johnson. My boyfriend, <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You guys are dating still? Oh, yeah. Oh, didn't you know? Yeah. Uh, I, don't I, don't I knew, tell my fiance. I won't. Um, <laughs> I knew that you had gone on some dates, uh, but I didn't know it was like a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. No, yeah, he's definitely my boyfriend. Oh, good. Um, um, we're very close. Is he as nice in person as he seems on screen? He's even nicer. So, uh, Alice, just because because the movie is coming, um, maybe this is our chance. Um, maybe. Maybe maybe Disney is thinking, maybe this is our chance. Um, and this could be the chance that they need to say, hopefully the movie takes off. If, if the movie doesn't take off, it's not their chance. Um, and hopefully <laughs> the movie is quality. Um, but well, this could be this could be the chance to say, we need to rethink what this cruise is. Um, we need to, we need to kind of go through and recontextualize and maybe the film will have something to say about colonialism. Looking at, looking at the materials that we have so far, and there there are not many, um, but looking at the materials we have so far, I wonder if they can, I wonder if there's anything there. Um, I wonder. Because right now it doesn't seem that way. The rumors coming out of the set include a character playing a, like and like in this and, and I want to clarify as of right now September 1st 2018 um not not confirmed but there's a rumor going around that one of the characters is going to be a really campy gay guy huh um which doesn't sound super great <laughs> um and the actor the actor who is playing this character is, is straight, not gay right? yeah um so uh yeah so 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 far where we are right now in september 2018 this time capsule here um does not sound very promising but we'll we'll get there we we'll will see and and look forward to that follow up episode when the film comes out because <laughs> movies that are based on theme park rides that had their inspiration in movies is so a jam for this podcast. Yeah, we should do we should we should start throwing in episodes on uh theme park movies. On uh, theme ride, park movies. We'll start with Pirates of the Caribbean, the best one. <laughs> well, you know what Alice, I think we should start with the Country Bear Jamboree, the worst oh. one. <laughs> The worst one. You know that movie came out on my 12th birthday? Wow. Oh, dating yourself there, Alice. Um, <laughs> Alice, uh, you know, we got we got to some really deep places today. And I just want to say thank you for a really interesting conversation that I hope anybody out there listening to it at least found something to think about and maybe wants to give us a little bit of an opinion about. Um, yeah. But please, let's always be respectful and let's always be choosing kindness towards each other. 
Absolutely. We want to have this conversation with you and we want to have this respectful conversation with, uh, with you, our listeners and, um, and buddy, where, where can they, uh, have that conversation with us? Well, Alice, uh, this has been those happy places. And you know that my name is buddy Duquesne. And my name is Alice White. So that means that my Twitter handle is buddy underscore Duquesne. And Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And you can find me on Twitter at Alice White THP for those happy places. Uh, yeah, we want to have this conversation with you. Please reach out to us on Twitter. We, we love having conversations about theme parks and about even deeper conversations like this one. Um, we're always there. Yeah, we are. We are always there. I am always on Twitter. <laughs> Even when I'm not on Twitter, Twitter is is calling me, uh, saying <laughs> saying come back. Um, so, Alice, you know, you did the research for this episode, and I will have edited this episode when our uh, when our our listeners are hearing it. And if they're listening to it right now, they're probably hearing our theme music, which is Golden Gate by the California Feet Wormers featuring Phil Alvin. And you can find that music on their website, CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. That's right. And, uh, you know, there's probably some additional music that I'm going to edit into this episode. Did you know that all of our additional music comes from Poddington Bear? From the Free Music Archive? <laughs> That's right. And you can totally look him up on the freemusicarchive.org, which is an amazing source for podcasters looking for free music tracks for all of their podcasting needs. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. Send people to our website at www.thosehappyplaces.com and join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thosehappyplaces, where we're always talking about theme parks and ideas for future episodes. That's right. And Alice, did you know that we're also on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, Podcast, uh, the Podbean, Overcast, uh, Castbox, uh, pod, pod, Podcast Addict? You can find us. Um, we are on every podcatcher. Uh, we are not on Spotify. <laughs> no, not yet. Yet. We'll figure that we out. We'll get there. Um, Alice, thank you so much for being on the show with me. Uh, buddy, thank you for this episode and for this conversation. You're the best co-host that a girl could ask for. Well, you know what? No, you're the best co-host that a girl could ask for. And <laughs> uh, I do want to say, Alice, that there is one other thing that you should send our listeners to, and that is uh, Rogue Fun, a podcast story. Oh, I host uh, a Star Wars, a monthly Star Wars podcast called Rogue Fun, a podcast story with the incomparable Th Ponders. Um, we just dropped episode three, um, and we had a really good conversation about, uh, facial expressions and hairstyles <laughs> and, um, yeah. And you can find, find that, um, wherever podcasts are found we're, yeah, we're on iTunes and, and, uh, Overcast and, and all of that. Excellent. Uh, and, uh, and on Twitter at Rogue Fun Pod. Excellent. Excellent. Anyways, Thanks for that plug, buddy. No, no worries, Alice. Uh, you know what? I'd like to thank the listeners now. Thank you, listeners. Yes, thank you all for listening. And we hope you return to those happy places. 